0: Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee. Being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? Today you will hear from Astrid Castro, the founder of Adoption Mosaic. She has been connected to the adoption community for decades and has positively impacted so many of us to stay the course in whatever lane we've chosen to empower adoptees. I want to read what's on Adoption Mosaic's website because it's beautifully stated what Astrid has created as a resource to the adoption community. Adoption Mosaic provides a platform for compassionate, informed education, training, and resources to the adoption constellation community in one way or another. We all have adoption in our lives, and regardless of what role we play or the resources we've been given, each of us deserves a healthy, lifelong adoption experience. I find Astrid to be most knowledgeable about what works best when it comes to sharing our stories. Over the last several months, adoptee after adoptee has credited Adoption Mosaic as being their wonderful introduction into the adoption community. I repeatedly heard about her insightful panels with adoptees as the experts. Allow me to introduce you to Ostrid in this Episode, and I'm of the belief that everything she shares here is worth thinking about and putting into action well beyond your listening time of our conversation. Hi, Ostrid. Hello. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. I um, am having a busy, busy Friday, but Things are going well. So, how about you?
0: I'm doing very well too. It's been a really good week. Very interesting. I've learned so much and participated in a couple of Zooms with adoptees, which is always really cool. And and don't be. Don't be concerned about the doggy in the background. <laughs> this is just real life, so it's fine. <laughs> Sorry about
1: that. I tried to give him a treat, um, but apparently he has lots to say.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm a dog person. My doggy just happens to be resting, but she too can be active. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just so excited that you took the time out to have this conversation because, as I told you. Your name keeps coming up with the younger generation, and I just get excited about young people being involved in the community sooner rather than later, as you did. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, because I'm kind of late to the community. I've been involved for over 10 years, but at the same time, I was nowhere near focused, you know, in my 20s and 30s. So when I meet people that are in their 30s and have said, "Hey, yeah, I," I want to get started on this thing called adoption right now, because mm. clearly it's better to be connected sooner rather than later. Before we get into a little bit about your story and the mm. amazing impact you've had in the adoption community for so many years, I just want to know what makes you, you?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Oh, Wow.
0: That's a big question, right? <laughs> I know. Uh, what
1: makes me me? There's so many parts of me, uh, and I being a mom to an amazing 18-year-old daughter who's about to go off to college is a really big thing right now in my life, and
0: yeah.
1: and being single and um, living in Portland, Oregon, and having. Um, My just really powerful community, my friends and my family just mean everything to me. My work, Adoption Mosaic, being a woman of color, finally getting to claim and own that for my own uh, is something that didn't come naturally. So I didn't have the support for that when I was younger. So that's a big part of what makes me me today and how I move in the world awareness around that and of course being an adopted person and being in reunion with my uh, birth mother and my adoptive parents being really involved in adoption mosaic also is a big part of makes who makes me me so yeah lots of things
0: yeah i just recently heard that question posed to someone and thank you for allowing me to ask you because it was it was like a big question i was sitting there like Just like you did. Okay, well, I am, yeah, I'm so much more than an adoptee. I'm a mom, you know, my grandmom. And, like, all these things came to me, which is um, a part of what we identify as or with. And so for the purpose of this program, because we know most listeners are going to be interested in the adoption story, And our experience Mm -hmm. as adoptees. So I said, I think I like that question because we are Mm -hmm. so much more than adoptees. I I thank you for that beautiful answer. And so I guess we'll just jump right into it. As an adoptee, what is a part of your story wherever you want to start?
1: Yeah, I know that a lot of your listeners, and I've I've been following your podcast, and I just also want to say, Jennifer, thank you for the work that you're doing and creating a platform for other adoptees to share their experience and be heard and feel the community that's out there. I think that that work is so incredibly valuable and important, and so thank you for offering that. Uh, and I've had the privilege of listening to some of your podcasts and uh, hearing people's stories around their reunion and has been really powerful. I was born in Colombia and at the age of four and a half, my sister was six. We were sold in the black market of adoption and we didn't discover that until 11 years ago when we found our mother and did some investigating ourselves. I know you have an investigation background. Uh, (laughs) I, you know, I love us adoptees like, you know, we just, when we, we want to find something out, boy, are we an incredible investigators. Right.
0: Right. So true. And
1: so my reunion um, was, was something that was not expected. And when we, and what I mean by that was, We went to Colombia. My daughter uh, was really curious and wanting to go back to Bucaramanga where my sister and I were born, or I should say supposedly born. It's on our birth certificate that that's where we were born. It turns out that that's not where we were born. It was falsified. But we went back and ended up finding our mother through a newspaper article. That experience really kind of pulled the rug out from under me. Here I was already doing this work in adoption land and already adoption mosaic was up and running. And I'd been doing this work at that time for about 20 years. And I kind of thought, well, someday if I find my birth family, that'd be, that'd be fun. That'd be interesting. I can't imagine that there's a story out there that's is not one that I've already thought of kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: sure enough, <laughs> that was the thinking error um, because as we know for every adoptee, there is, we have very unique stories and for every reunion there's, I think that there are different or there's experiences that are outside of our, our thinking as far as our, or any, any story that we've heard in the past, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and unique kind of experience. And so, that in of itself was something that was challenging in a kind of way that i hadn't been prepared or expected and it really made me start thinking a lot about what does it mean to be in community with other adoptees what does it mean to support each other through these experiences that if i as somebody who had been working in the field for as long as i had And yet the rug had been pulled out right from under me, that there, that meant that there was some missing resources and where were they and what, how could I have been more supported? How could I have uh, not had the experience that I did with regards to survivor guilt and language barriers and cultural differences and language barriers and just all of these things that I think I understood academically, but in practice, it was very different.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you find working with the younger generation within the community something that really kind of hooked them? Some th- something special that you bring that that's got them so interested in being and staying connected. Mm.
1: I so I run youth activity groups, and uh, I have for years, and I have watched some of these youth grow up, and I am still in community with some of these kids that I was supporting and helping through the youth groups that I was doing, and one in particular, she was five, we always go back and forth uh, whether she was five or seven, but she was somewhere between five and seven when she started coming to the groups that we would do here in Portland, Oregon. And she continued to stay involved and we continued to offer programs that she could grow, kind of grow up with. Mm -hmm. And she then started as a young adult, she started being on panels and volunteering and getting involved and meeting other adoptees that were her age and And I think it just was one of those experiences because Adoption Mosaic has been around for so long. We have had a lot of young people involved at at that super young age at five or seven. And another another individual who she was 14 when she started getting involved. And she and I are super close friends and she's 30, 30 years old. Wow.
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: And so that's
0: it. That is the secret sauce.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's being around uh, so many of us. And this is a really important point, Jennifer, I think for us to be contemplating and I'd love to see more conversations about this, but how us adoptees burn out so quickly in this industry and the offering and providing support. And when it's you're doing that in isolation and you're, don't have the backing or the support of others, that burnout happens really easily, mm-hmm. really quickly. And I think that I've seen many out there adoptee individuals out there wanting to provide or wanting to just share their story, and that that turns into providing support for others because they others hear themselves in that that individual's experience or story, Mm -hmm. but who's supporting, but who's supporting that individual. Right. Right. And so if you don't have the backing of something bigger than just yourself, I think burnout can happen really easily. And that is what I think ends up happening a lot in our community And adoptees are just like, you know what? I've given so much of myself. Where's my support? Where's my Mm -hmm. community? Where do I go?
0: I'm glad you (laughs) shared that. I I so get that. And I could see that in the work that I'm doing too. Like I'm very mindful of that. That keeps coming Mm -hmm. up. Like I don't want to get burned out because a lot of times you are, it's, it's a road less traveled many times depending on, you know, where you are. In, in in giving and being right. available and being present. So yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. Yeah. What impresses me so much, I think about the young people just in the last couple of months that mention your name. Like <laughs> they just <laughs> light up. Yeah, they light up about adoption mosaic and about you. And so then mm. I light up because it's real important to me to be connected to the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And 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 I know because my son who turned 31 this year, mm-hmm. being connected to him, his his um friends even, and my nieces and nephews, all of them are the, you know, millennials. They're all in their late twenties, mm-hmm. early thirties, and they have so much to offer and, mm. and, and I learned so much from them. So It just makes sense that in the adoption community, I want to be around that age group. So when they mention you and and the work you're doing, I'm like, I want to know what it is. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, for young people to want to be connected to an older generation, there has to be something there. And I'm going to use this quick example I remember when my son got his first cell phone many, many years ago and I would call him because, you know, we're of a generation of calling <laughs> and not <and> texting <laughs> and he would never pick up. He would never answer. But the minute I text him, he texts me right back. You know, and even to this mm-hmm. day, that generation and I, I guess we are getting that way, too. They're texters. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, if you can like catch on to that, then you got them. You got them. Mm-hmm. You got, so mm-hmm. I, I'm just interested in always knowing what is it so that we can stay connected. And, um, there are differences in generations and it's okay, but you seem to have mastered mm-hmm. that the way you're being mentioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just, um, I well, want thank you, to, you, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Cause I'm not, and I guess I'm stressing it because I don't hear that all mm-hmm. the time. I don't even hear it a lot, you know, a little, I just hear it. About you, mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Jennifer, in hearing you say that, I also think about the the space that we hold in intergenerational relationships, and that space that we hold of mentor mentee, or modeling what it looks like to stand by someone and help them through their journey, and living. I think that's one of the things that is absolutely a part of what keeps me connected is I am the person who picks up the phone. So your son would probably be like, all right, you know what? Oster tries to just call me all the time. And I just like, because I'm not a tech, I'm not a huge texter. And so I think that there is the essence of holding on to what we have from our own generations, okay. each of us yeah. bring, right? Our yeah. own ways of communicating that for some is just so refreshing. Okay. And and I do think that there is that balance between I hear that, you know, it's one thing me texting or calling my daughter, and I want a re- her to respond to me. And it's something else where, you know, I'm just going to pick up the phone, I'm just going to give you a call, because I'm worried about you, or I'm thinking about you, or I haven't heard from you in a while. And Texting is something that everybody does, but picking up the phone, not very many people do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a balance of holding on to the essence of what our generation brings. Like we get to carry the goodness out of our generation. True. So <laughs> um, true. Yeah. And also meet our community where they are to help uplift them. Right. Um, so I think it's a balance of of those those things. Okay.
0: I get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do, I just want to be clear. I know a lot of younger adoptees, the younger generation that are doing a lot of great work and are connecting with their generation. So the young people are definitely connecting Mm -hmm. with each other. Back to you, because you're of my generation, I just find that that to be something very special. So Mm -hmm. I I like that. I like what you're saying because there are things from our generation that are very useful for Mm -hmm. For other generations, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I um, I know your longevity is it, within the adoption community has been rewarding in so many ways. But can you say what maybe has been the most, or at the top of the list? Mm. The top of the
1: list of rewarding aspects of my work. I I'm going to go back to watching the five year old and the fourteen year old grow up and what it looks like, actually seeing it played out and what it looks like when young people are supported in the way that they need to be supported around adoption and race and conversations and parents who have reached out to me that uh, have sought our resources and Getting to see that in kids and seeing them connected and seeing, you know, I, it's funny because one of the, and she's been on panels for me before she's 22 years old. And the five-year-old that I was mentioning, her name is Sai Ming. And she actually was on a panel for the, we, the experts, the adoptee speaker series on DNA, DNA testing and the, the do's and don'ts and should I, or shouldn't I? Pros and cons, kind of thing, uh, and she is someone who, when I think about my experience versus her experience, it's so clear to me that what we're what we are all talking about as adoptees and saying that this is what we need works. It actually works, mm-hmm. and there's her and the all of the other young people that I have stayed in community with have shown me that, that when we are in having conversations around adoption and their ability to be able to talk about it, it's almost like the fog. What is the fog? I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me (laughs) because they've always been open and transparent and had a space and had a community to talk about to their adoptee experience in a way that we didn't.
0: Right. Oh, that's a beautiful thing to know that they're like, fog, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I like hearing that and knowing that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the guidance that you give adoptees, and I've heard it mentioned, I remember a couple of adoptees recently telling me um, through being a part of Adoption Mosaic, that they're really clear on not oversharing, and oh, I just, I just lit up because I, I know that's a very important subject for all ages, uh, yes. to be clear on that. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, so this, the philosophy that we have of at Adoption Mosaic with panel work and our philosophy is is how do we support How do we empower, how do we create something that the individual who is offering their emotional labor for others to learn and gain and grow from, Mm -hmm. that they don't look back at this moment and say, oh, my gosh, is that really me? Did I really say that? I'm so embarrassed. Um, I, you know, I didn't I wasn't thinking this was before I came out of the fog. I've never said this before. Why did I say it in this platform? And Mm -hmm. I think that that experience is something that I had personally, where when I was very young, I started my panel work at at adoption agencies and I was speaking to adoptive parents and I found myself doing all of these things that I just said. Mm -hmm. And it was through that experience That I said, okay, if we do panel work at Adoption Mosaic, this is how it has to look. We can't pretend that we can be everything to everyone. Absolutely not. But there are other resources that's therapeutic resources or other support groups or other uh, blogs, books, articles, individuals. Um, The Adoptees Connect is a great resource. Those kind of things. So how do we ask somebody to offer their emotional labor and then not offer these other resources to help them do the kind of wraparound services, if you will. And so because of my experience of not having that, I wanted to make sure that we offered that at Adoption Mosaic when and if we were going to be doing panel work. And here we are, we found ourselves in the pandemic offering the We the Experts, our Adoptee Speaker Series, and it's a monthly, every month uh, we offer a panel of four adult adoptees sharing their experiences on a very specific theme or topic that we've chosen for that month. And in doing that, it was watching other, I guess, other individuals still oversharing and being really thinking about what does that look like to help someone not be in that space. And a big part of that is offering a space ahead of time to meet the other panelists. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a panel, never met the other panelists. There's not a clear agenda. I don't know what the questions are going to be. Like I said, I don't even know who the other panelists are gonna be, let alone where they are in in the adoption spectrum as far as their experience. Uh, I don't have a clear understanding of who the facilitator is. I don't know if the facilitator is also going to try to play a role of being on the panel. There's just so much work that goes behind understanding how an ethical panel work or ethical panels happen. Mm -hmm. And I think people just think that, you know, oh, I'll just. Bring four people together and then you know tell them here's the date and have them show up and uh, and then we'll just have a conversation. And that is not empowering. that is not helping an individual have their their public voice because we should all be allowed to have this is what I say to people I don't know, and I'm gonna feel really good when I'm done with this experience. not having people meet the other panelists on the spot but instead having them meet them ahead of time hearing each other's story because that's building community right that's if nothing else that is the other panelists that are sitting there on the panel with you that is your community that is your those are your peers those are the ones who also care about this theme or this topic these are the individuals who you want to be in community with. And so how do we help make that happen ahead of time, but not the day of kind of thing. The other thing, uh, Jennifer, that is something that I think has a little bit of controversy, maybe, that I feel really strongly about. I don't think we should be putting minors on panels ever, mm-hmm. and I feel really strongly about that. When I think about my 14-year-old, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old self, mm-hmm. uh, yes, I was on my first panel at 18, and yes, that's where I overshared and overexposed and Even when I think about, is it possible to help a young person have their voice and share it at such a young age with them looking back and being like, yes, I am. I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the things that i proud of I've done. I'm not sure the answer for me right now is no. Every time I have experienced watching or seeing a young really young person on a panel uh, is really hard for me to watch I think about how they are sharing their stories in a way that they don't understand their full experience yet and not to say all of us understand our full experience ever Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and, and you know I think about that as far as anybody who is a panelist for adoption mosaic and is sharing their experience and their story is that at some point in their life, they might say, you know what, that's, that, that's not who I am today. I don't feel good about what I said. Um, is there something that we could talk about, or as far as getting that taken down or something like that? And i I think I would have to say yes, of course. Mm-hmm. This is your story, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, the other thing about young people, minors sharing their story, I think it also feeds into the perpetual "Oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing. You're so powerful. The things that you're saying are so mm-hmm. are changing the way that I parent, and and that kind of power." over someone when you're a young person i think is feels really good which feeds into the oversharing oftentimes
0: does that make sense it makes perfect sense to me i know exactly what you're saying and you know we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about this a couple days ago in and i agree with you because you know when i think about this is with reunion stories because mm-hmm. I've I've had conversations with plenty of people our age who are in reunion but things can change you can mm-hmm. start off it, with that relationship being one way and then it just pivot you know things just change and now you're feeling totally different about that relationship so I agree that we there should be space and room because we're evolving anyway for things to change in your perception and that you don't want that necessarily out there the way you were feeling at that time and I think that's fine Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I really do and we talked a little bit about memoir which that actually happened to me with my book published in 2015 there are it's not much but I remember going back because I every now and then I pick it up and I'll read something or someone will bring something to my attention and I and I'm this is how I feel about it that's where I was then you know mm-hmm. and and that it's perfectly okay I just give myself permission to feel differently today than I did even five years or six years ago
1: mm, right right
0: yeah well, I wanted to take you back just a little bit because I think about this quite often growing up, how my adoptive parents felt about adoption. We didn't talk about it much if at, at all every now and then, but it was it was not something I felt I could openly ask questions and get good answers solid answers and I think what would I tell my adoptive parents today mm Growing up, what is the one thing you wish your adoptive parents understood about being separated from your family of origin? That's the question. Mm.
1: One thing that I wish my parents understood. 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 Okay, about being separated from my parents. Hmm. I. That's a really hard question, Jennifer. I don't know that there is one thing because we were older. We were four and a half and six years old when we came to the United States. Mm-hmm. And my sister and I, we, we were adopted by parents who didn't speak Spanish. Uh, I would say that that maybe just when I think about right out of the gate of why didn't you learn Spanish? Why didn't language mean, why wasn't language a higher priority for mm, you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: I can't imagine the terror and the fear and all of the things that were, that we came with that we didn't have anyone who could even talk to us.
0: Right. That's a big one.
1: Yeah. Let alone be able to, you know, just talk to us, period. Let alone navigating. Oh, this must be really scary for you. This must be really hard for you. Let's help you. We weren't in therapy. We didn't have, anybody who uh, was, we didn't have any adults who could actually speak to us uh, in those first six months of arriving. Uh, That's
0: really something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Our mom uh, had, uh, our adoptive mom had hired a nanny to come to the house who spoke Spanish. And the social worker, when they came for the i can't remember if it was like the one month or however uh long up you know follow-up meeting they came to the house and they saw that mom and dad had hired a spanish-speaking person to come and be with us Mm -hmm. and the agency said no 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 you need to stop doing that the girls Will be delayed in learning English, and we need them to be speaking English by kindergarten by or by you know when school starts oh, in the wow. fall uh yeah, and so the one person who spoke Spanish was then gone, and I don't know how many times she came, or if yeah, I don't have clarity around that, I just know that that was. Their intuition had said, Oh, we really should have somebody who can speak Spanish to the girls. And then the agency came back and said, No, you don't, we don't want you to do that. And so, yeah, yeah. So I think language maybe would be, you know, and when I even go back and and before we even arrived, there is a before we even arrived that I wish that all adoptive parents uh, were doing what this really means, not just I get to parent between zero and 18. And I want to have that experience or for whatever reasons that you're deciding to adopt, but really looking at the history of adoption in the United States, or anywhere in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The history in each country, what is the history of adoption? What does it mean to support your 26-year-old, your 38-year-old? Uh, what does it mean to be a grandparent of children of color that are not biologically related to you? Like, those are the oh, things wow. that nobody thinks about, right? Yes,
0: that's good. Astra, yeah. that is so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm just still kind of sitting with the language because I remember, I believe it was Heidi's podcast, Pulled by the Root, when I remember you sharing you and your sister like saying something that you knew that your father didn't understand like or him asking a question I think it was mm-hmm. and and you and you responded and knowing he wouldn't know what you said am I getting that right like he, yeah. he, yep is that right and I just mm-hmm. remember thinking you had your sister and you all were very clear on this language piece Yeah. Like, Mm. like, like they, they don't even know our language and you're right. Like I remember quite a bit when I was five years old, you know, Mm. being in kindergarten and you're solid in your name, you're solid in your language by that time. And here you're being removed from all that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When I think, try to
1: think back on that and try to think about, wow, what was happening and kind of in my psyche, what was, what was going on? I, I have no idea. I can't, I don't have memories uh, of that at all. And if you have any of your listeners out there that might have some resources or knowledge on linguistics, and uh, I'd love to see research done on uh, language memory and adoption mm-hmm. and, and the intersection of all of those. Things where I believe that a lot of my memories of being in Colombia are held in in Spanish, mm-hmm. and I don't have access to those. Uh, my sister, who relearned Spanish and went and lived in Colombia uh, for a year, she came back and once she became fluent, she started having memories that she didn't have that. Were I believe as a result of relearning Spanish,
0: because mm. there's mm-hmm. certain things that don't translate, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 Mm. Interesting. Yeah. That is. That's really fascinating. Well, we could talk about a whole lot of <laughs> other things, and maybe you will be able to come back. Maybe you will. I would love have to an again. have an opportunity to come back because I would really like that. So. For now, in closing, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share with the community specifically, maybe uh, adoptees born in another country? Mm,
1: Yes. I, you know, this is uh, kind of the, in closing, uh, whenever I'm doing a podcast or an interview is I just want all of your listeners out there to, if, to know that there is a community out there for them. And whether it's Adoption Mosaic or your podcast or where they feel seen and heard, that there are more and more adoptee-led groups and organizations and resources and books and all of these re- amazing resources that are being created by adoptees for adoptees uh, and just for your listeners to know if you're feeling isolated or you're feeling alone to, to, hopefully remember that you're not and that there are resources out there. And if Adoption Mosaic isn't the place for you, uh, we can help you find your community. And so I just want to encourage people to not sit in isolation anymore. We've sat in isolation long enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was well said. And I agree. You you may find one podcast that just really resonates with you just keep looking keep searching if if you come across something that's not quite the fit there is likely to be something that is very much the fit and just keep looking yeah I totally agree I know I have been to a therapist and I'm like this is not it I didn't give up on therapy you know so it's kind of really like, that. yeah, so yeah. I agree. I'm glad you shared that. And thank you so much for creating the time. I know you have a lot on your plate and for you to take the time out to have this conversation means everything to me. So thank you.
1: Mm, thank you, Jennifer. And, and I want to say, you're one of the few adoptees that I have gotten to interview with. And I, I, I've recently just posted something on my personal Facebook page about the interview that I did with Heidi Mm -hmm. and that until November of last year, I had never been interviewed by another adoptee. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and getting to be interviewed by adoptee to adoptee, it's just different in the way that you are going about this, and and you know following up and meeting with me ahead of time, and all. I just I see a lot of parallels in the work that we're doing at Adoption Mosaic, and I just want to say I appreciate you and thank you for the work that you're doing as well.
0: Oh, thank you. My time with Ostrid. Exceeded my every expectation. She's thoughtful and intentional about her mission. She beautifully stated what I hadn't yet took the time to say, and that is find your community within the adoption community. Look until you find what works for you, because one size doesn't fit all. Choose from all kinds of groups and individuals on social media and otherwise, doing the work to provide a resource for adoptees. I believe it's very important to reconsider an initial position of isolation. We are in this together, and there is room enough for all of us. I like how Ostrid talked about the possibility of burnout as members of the community give of themselves through the years. It's not often discussed in public spaces, but it happens far too often. We need each other and can be diligent to make sure we keep showing up for one another. I wish to leave you with this from the adoptionmosaic.com website. We focus on families and individuals by supporting them in making the most educated, informed, and unbiased decision when it comes to their adoption needs. We provide space where the adoption constellation/community feel valued, heard, understood and accepted as a full member of society, family, and community. Thank you, Astrid, for creating the time for our conversation. It was a complete joy to hear your words. I know you are in this journey of service to our community for the long haul, and you inspire me to do the same. Remember to always look at the show notes of each episode for more information about our guest. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. Remember to share this podcast on social media to spread the word, hashtag Thank you for being here.